Hello, everyone. Welcome to Studio Podcast. First of all, just want to say thanks for listening. We are excited to get this podcast up and running. If you are new to Studio, we are a church in Greenville, South Carolina. Our heart is to create a place where God and people meet so beautiful things can happen and beautiful things are created. So thanks for listening. And with that, let's get right to it. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to studio. We are so glad you're here tonight, and we are definitely excited to get going. Last week was just special to launch the church. Just such a beautiful day. We just knew that we would only get to do this once, and so we just wanted to savor every, every moment. And for those of you that came, we're so grateful that you came. And for those of you, this is your first time with us. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And we are going to be starting a series. The title of the series is Future Ready. And the whole idea was we just recognized that we have so many wonderful people in this room that really have just different stories, different backgrounds. Uh, and in many ways, this room feels kind of eccentric and eclectic in nature. And because we have people that have moved here from all over the nation because of studio or they felt like God said, move to Greenville. We have others of you that have literally lived here your whole life. You're born and raised here. And then we have others of you that have just been moving into the area over the last, you know, over time. So we've got this unique group of people and we felt it would be really helpful and important for us as we start this church, as we move forward, that we would do what we can to get everybody onto the general same page so we can step forward and move into the future together. So that's why we named this series Future Ready. Tonight will be part one and we're going to go for a number of weeks and just really focus on this. We're really looking forward to it. There are three questions I want to start tonight off with, and it's this. What is the future? What is the past? And what is the present? It's interesting when you ask those questions because you can quantify two of them, but the other one is actually quite complicated. So, for example, the past. The past is basically anything that's already happened, anything that's been done, anything that's already taken place. You can quantify it. You can measure it. And obviously, with the introduction of years, we can measure it by years now and centuries and so on and so forth. Now, the future, how do you measure the future? The future is basically, it, it's unquantifiable, but you can somehow measure it like it's anything that hasn't happened yet. So the big question is, what is the present? How do you define the present, like this moment? What's fascinating about the word present is we use it very loosely and generally, meaning this moment, this season, or maybe this year. Or this evening together right now, this is a moment. This is a present moment right now. But if you really dive into the word present, it's really hard to quantify or measure it. Is it this hour? Is it this minute? Is it this second? Or is it this millisecond? Because by the time I get finished saying a word, we've already moved out of that actual moment, that precise moment. So I think this is fascinating because when we look at it this way, we begin to understand that we actually aren't static. We're not in one place. Even if you were to sit in this chair for the next one hour, which you're going to, it doesn't mean that you didn't go somewhere. Like the world is moving. Time is moving. God said in the beginning in Genesis 1. And so the whole idea of time is actually moving. We're actually going somewhere. So really the only two options are try to relive your past or step into the future. It's really fascinating when you look at it this way. We know we can't go back to the past. We can, like we said, we can try to recreate it, but we actually can't go backward. And being in the present, really, what is that? It's just this second right now. It's this moment. 
So the only option left is the future. So here we are. God has placed us in what's called time and space. And he said, choose. If you go into the book of Genesis in chapter 1, there's this moment where God creates Adam and eventually creates Eve. And then he places them in the Garden of Eden. And then he puts a tree and he said, choose to eat this or not eat this. He's giving them a choice. It's like God's way of saying, I'm never going to let you have a future without a choice. The other intriguing thing about time is just the concept of time. We know in Genesis 1, God says, in the beginning. But at that point, there were no watches, no clock. There was no measurable way to keep track of time. As time went on, humanity found ways to measure. They begin to realize, oh, the sun rising and the sun is setting. And this is happening all the time. And some days are longer than others as far as the sunrise, the sunrise and the sun sets. And other days are shorter as far as the sun being out. And if you live in different parts of the world, you recognize this. So the concept of time is is intriguing. And have you ever thought about that different age group look and perceive time differently? Now, how many parents do we have in here? And for you parents, how many remember, maybe some of you still have an infant or a toddler right now, but I know for us, for our two daughters, when they were infants and toddlers, they had no concept of time. There was no like they knew when time would, what time breakfast was, or they knew what time lunch was. They, they didn't care about lunchtime or breakfast time. When they wanted something, they wanted something. There was no concept of time. And this is why you try to convince them it's not time for dessert. You need to eat dinner first. So infants and toddlers literally have no way of understanding time. It's not until they get into an institution called school or education that kids begin to understand there's a schedule, there's a rhythm. When the bell rings, that means you go to class or you get ready to go to your next class. And it's a beautiful thing because as, as you're growing up and you become an elementary age or even teenage, you begin to fall into the structure of time and a schedule. Homework is due on a certain time. And honestly, we should be really thankful that this takes place because if kids did not learn something as scheduled time or deadline, by the time they get into their 20s, they're going to have a rude awakening of life because the bills are going to show up in their mailbox that they have to pay on time. So we've got this amazing construct of time. Now, I'm going to pick on every age tonight, but how many of you here are in your 20s? So we got some 20-year-olds in this room tonight. And one thing I love about 20-year-olds is they, they literally have life figured out. They, they, I would call them the master of their time. They got their schedule, everything dialed in. They've got their plans. And it's beautiful. It's actually really fun. I think it's actually crucial and important to human development. And so you're 20-year-old. You think you've got everything sorted out. You're the master of time. And the thought that you don't have a lot of time, in other words, you only have a few years left, never enters the mind of a 20-year-old. They don't even realize how much time they have. It's not even The end of time is not even in their view. And so they're just thinking, man, I've got the rest of my life. I've got so much time in front of me. But this amazing thing happened when a 20-year-old entered their 30s. Now, what's fascinating about 20s and 30s, a 20-year-old, you're happening to life. But when you enter your 30s, something else happened and life began to happen to you. You are no longer dreaming about your ambitions and goals. You're just like, can I make it to bed tonight? Can I at least get to the end of the day so I can at least watch my Netflix and just, just hang out on the couch? 
and literally 30 year old because life is happening to you. You're slowly being stripped away of all this idea of how much control you have over your time. And that, this is just the nature of 30-year-olds. I see 30-year-olds in the room right now. You're like, yep, that's my life. I just want to make it to the end of the day. You're not thinking about anything else but that. And then there's this amazing transition when you leave your 30s and you start entering your 40s. So for me, I'm 45, so I can only really speak from my personal experience. But this really unique thing happened around 41, 42 years age. And this thought came into my mind that I had never thought of before. It had never crossed my mind, literally, ever. And the thought was this, I am halfway dead. Now, it wasn't morbid or depressing. It was just this observation of like, wow, I have literally lived half of my life already. And then I thought, you know, I wonder how, I wonder what the average age life expectancy is for an American white male. And I looked it up on Google, and it's 77 years old. So my next thought was, I am over halfway dead. Now, like I said, it wasn't depressing or morbid of any, in any way. It was just this reality that I am, my life, is, I, I don't have all the time in front of me, like a 20-year-old thinks. I literally am now asking myself, what have I done with my life? Like, what have I accomplished? What have I done that's meaningful? And I begin to like just recount and assess just the quality and just the things I've done in my life up until that point. And then I kind of went into, what do I want to do the rest of my life? What do I want to give my time, my energy, and attention to? What are the most important things that I want to spend the second half of my life doing? Now, I'm not 50 yet, but I've noticed something in 50-year-olds. I'm, I'm around a lot of them. I worked with a lot of them, a lot of them over the years. And I love people in their 50s because they just have this pure joy of being alive and just enjoying life. It's like they've reached this point where they realize, you know what, the most important things are this. Someone asked me recently, Eric, what do you like to do besides playing golf? Because I really do, I do love playing the game of golf a lot. And I thought about it. I said, you know what, I've noticed as I'm getting older, some of the most special moments in life is with family and friends maybe drinking a cup of coffee downtown or walking the streets or just enjoying life experiences together. And I've noticed that I think the older you get, simpler things get, and you just begin to appreciate the simple things in life. And that's what I love about 50-year-olds. They seem to just embrace that in a special way. Now, something really cool happened that I've noticed when 50-year-olds turn into 60-year-olds, and and I've worked with a lot of them, and my parents and a lot of our parents in here are now in their 60s or moved in their 70s. But I've noticed in their 60s, this amazing thing happened, and it's this. They literally do not care what anybody thinks about them. It's so comical. It's almost like they literally do whatever they can to get people's reaction. I mean, you can tell by the way they dress, the fashion they choose, the clothes they wear. I mean, a lot of six-year-olds, they go to Costco and they're like, this does it for me. I can get my underwear, my socks, my pants, my shirts, my jackets. I can get my entire wardrobe in one store, my shoes. And it's true. I mean, look around the room. Some of us just like Costco for everything. And that's what happens in your 60s. You don't care anymore. And there's this amazing marriage between 60-year-olds and social media. I'm convinced that most 60-year-olds wake up in the morning and they think to themselves, how can I make a bunch of people mad today? And they post whatever that is. 
And it's, it's hilarious, it's crazy, but it's actually so, so, so true. And I know 60-year-olds in this room, you're laughing right now because you realize that's you. You don't care anymore, and you like to get people riled up a little bit. It's just a joy that you like doing that. And then I notice when people turn into their 70s, it's almost like they're doing their 50s over again. Like they just love life even more and the simplicity of it and enjoying the things that are just simple and meaningful and enjoying making great memories, et cetera, et cetera. Now I've noticed people get in their 80s and their 90s and obviously they're in a different space in life and my grandparents and my wife's grandparents are all in their late 80s, early 90s. And whenever they have a birthday, they kind of say to themselves, how many more birthdays am I going to have? The point I'm trying to make is every age looks and perceives time differently. Have you also noticed that your joy affects your perception of time? Your joy actually changes the way you experience and feel how time is happening. And this is why I think when you're filled with joy or doing something that brings joy to your heart, Time flies. It goes really fast. And then when you're doing something or not doing something that's filling your life with meaning and joy, it feels like time is taking forever. And so I think it's important to understand that time, the concept of time, is intriguing because we, we perceive it and we experience it differently than other people. There's a great verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. I'll read it to you. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Yes, Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, but he also wrote Song of Solomon and Proverbs and this one. And Song of Solomon is essentially what he wrote in his younger years, lots of passion that he had in his heart as a young man. And then Proverbs was more in the middle stages of his life with lots of wisdom, reflection, and just uh, pondering the, the wisdom of God, divine wisdom and human wisdom, etc. And then you get into Ecclesiastes, which is toward the end of his life, and you can tell he's reflecting and assessing, uh, assessing the meaning, the, all the existential questions, all of that is filled in this book. So here we have this verse that says, God has put eternity in our hearts. And I just find that really intriguing because we, we only know time and space. Our ability to understand something that has no beginning or no end, something that's eternal or infinite, it's almost like our brain cannot fully fathom that. We work hard to understand it and we're getting better at it, but at the same time, we only can understand or comprehend that to a certain extent. And in the middle of that, God said, I'm going to put eternity in their heart. And it's this realization that something in our soul longs for something more than what we understand or what we comprehend. It's like this, something deep inside of us is calling unto something deep that is, that is deep in mystery, that is deep in tension, and this whole thing that God created inside of us. And this is important to recognize because in this very moment, the future you were born for is one you don't know actually exists. Let me say that again. This moment right now, the future you were born for is one you don't know actually exists. You know, what's taken place in the last couple of years globally has afforded us a space to create, to reimagine, and essentially to letting go. 
I believe we were designed to create beauty in and with our lives. It's innate in us. As our God created us, therefore we create. It's how God is revealed. It's how his nature is revealed. Some of you are in that space where you didn't know it existed just a short while ago. We've shared several times already from the stage, but standing on the stage on launch Sunday, my wife and I were just struck with this deep reality, this deep realization that this moment we didn't know existed a year ago. It was so not even on a radar. We had no concept of it. And it made us realize that oftentimes, actually I believe all the time, the future we were born for is one we don't know actually exists right now. And some of us are in that space right now. We're in the, That's why this room, this, this, this collection of people in this room makes this so interesting to me because so many of us have made incredible life decisions in the last 12 months alone. Whether it's moving across the country or you're here in Greenville and you feel this shifting in your heart to do something different and new and everything in between. We're all in this unique space right now, which is why we're talking about being ready for the future, being future ready. And we're all dreaming about this, not just another world, but a new world. Not just something we've seen or experienced before, but something that we've yet to experience. In fact, we don't even know if it exists, but something inside of us longs for it and knows it's there. Now, this whole concept of longing for something that's beyond us is really uh, is something important to note because we know that God had no beginning or end. He's placed that hunger, that, that longing deep inside our soul. But we have to understand we live in a world where secular thinking rules the day. And secular thinking does not allow you to embrace anything that's beyond you. Secular thinking reduces the entire existence of everything down to just you and to what you understand, what you comprehend. And our world are getting smaller and smaller and becoming more about self than it is about, about something transcendent or divine or something outside of us. So this idea that something long for something out there, something that is transcendent, that is divine, is something to take note of. And I believe we live in a moment right now where we're going to be discipling people in existential questions, existential answers and solutions. We're going to be talking a lot about why we're alive, because the soul of humanity is longing for this truth. Have you noticed that even as secular society reduces us down to just a self, we're only about ourself, something inside of us is still creating movies, books, TV shows, and different creative expressions that have to do with powers, that have to do with unnatural powers, whether supernatural or in other forms. But there's, there's this realization that humanity realizes as we shrink down our thinking to just revolving around self, something in our soul says that's not the truth because there's something beyond us. And I think that's important to recognize because we are in an increasingly existential moment as a society. There's a great quote from a well-known atheist named Julian Barnes. Once said this, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. You see, you have to be willing to let something offend you or bother you if you're going to move into the future. It's in this place where you are invited into a tension that produces life. When a baby chick is trying to get out of its egg, it's this incredible place of tension and struggle. 
One of the reasons why we may feel stuck is we haven't been willing to let tension, challenges, and resistance build a strength to carry us into the future. The future you were born for is one you don't know actually exists. We often talk about the new, but in the end, we end up only doing the new old thing. So it's important for us to identify the gap of where we are at in our current existence in accordance to the future that you were born for. Now, we always talk about the future and new things, but have you ever noticed it's really hard for us to move forward in areas in our life? So I think what I want to do, if you could get your notepads out, if you haven't written anything down, now's your time to write something down. I want to give you five reasons why it's hard for us as humans to change. It helped to summarize, and I, I just hope that after tonight you can take some time to assess and just reflect. Maybe I haven't been willing to let go of certain things because I don't know what doesn't exist, so I'm afraid to let go, to move into something that's actually waiting for me. So write this down. The first area is economics. It has to do with your livelihood, your personal economy, and oftentimes we don't like to give that up for something we don't know actually exists. And so we often don't make changes in our life because of that very thing. Now, just to be clear, these are all valid reasons. These aren't like shallow and meaningless. These are real reasons, but at the same time, they are things that cause us to not actually make changes. The second area is political position. I'm not referring to a political office of any sort. I'm actually referring to the idea that in whatever space you are in your life, maybe you're, you have your own home, your own family or business, or you work for a company, or you, know, you, you have a certain manager job or your teacher. I mean, you fill in the blank, but you have a political position wherever you are. In your home, you have a position of influence in your home. You have a position of influence in whatever, wherever you work and whatever you do. So that position, what we're loosely calling a political position, oftentimes we've worked hard to get there and we're not willing to let go of that to embrace something that unknown or new or in the future. So political position is one thing we don't like to give up, or I should put it this way, we don't like to give it up easily. The third area is personal identity. This is tricky. A lot of leadership principles will teach you this, that don't let your identity get too close to what you do because of what you do fails, then so goes your personal identity. I love that principle, but I actually only believe it's one side of the coin because I believe the other side of the coin, we have to acknowledge and recognize that if you don't pour your entire self into what you do, then what you do will only be half-baked. It will only be half-great but it, it will never be the full expression of who you are as a person and the unique skills and gifts that you carry. So this is why it's hard for us to let go of something we're deeply connected to and we get our identity from. We're oftentimes not willing to let go of our existing identity to see what new identity forms. The fourth area is personal comfort. This one is pretty easy to grasp and understand. We just oftentimes get to a place in life where everything dialed, everything sorted out. You can metaphorically walk up to a wall and adjust the temperature at will. It's just this idea of personal comfort. And it's often really hard to let go of that, to step into an uncomfortable space of unknown and future. So this is why it's complicated to let go of personal comfort. The fourth area, which I think is the, the most interesting one to me, and I think it's very relevant to this room, is this, 
the definition of how the kingdom works. Everyone in this room, when you said yes to Jesus, this is a human nature, but I'm going to focus on a group of people in this room that you said yes to Jesus. You have an idea, an expectation of how you feel the kingdom should work and how you feel maybe how this church should function and work. It's just human nature. All of us have it. It's just something that we carry inside of us. And so the challenge is, if we're not willing to let go of certain expectations or any expectation of how we think things should be, we will oftentimes never move into the future and we will spend the rest of our life reproducing what we already know. And oftentimes our expectations are connected to past experiences. So let's say you're in this room and you're like, this is how I experienced God in this way in a previous season of my life. So if you're not willing to move forward from that, then you'll spend your time trying to reproduce those experiences. You'll do whatever is necessary to try to relive your path because you have a framework for it, you have a construct for it, and you can easily accept it and embrace it. So one of the challenges in this room, especially as we're just starting studio, is some of you have expectation A or expectation X or Y or Z. The challenge for you and my personal challenge to you is are you willing to put that down, lay that to the side, and embrace something that you don't even know exists yet, but we know it's out there. Because God has placed something inside each one of us that longs for the future. And our dream and our goal is to build something beautiful, something that reflects a new aspect of who God is. And that's what we're going after here at Studio. So oftentimes we don't like change because of our own personal definition or expectation of how we think the kingdom should work. Now I want to draw your attention to the scriptures. If you're unfamiliar, there's a couple books in the very beginning of the Bible named Genesis and Exodus. The word, the book got its name Exodus because it's a story about the nation of Israel exiting Egypt. Now to give context for this whole entire story, it's, I encourage you to go read the scriptures and really envelop yourself in the story because it's, it's, it's quite fascinating, but it's also a great uh, indicator of as humans, we, it, we, it's a tendency to look back. It's just normal to look back, especially when we don't know what's ahead. And what you have here is you have a nation of Israel. They had just been in bondage for about 400 years underneath the oppression and slavery of the Egyptian empire. And you have this story of four, imagine that 400 years, your entire lineage had all they've known is slavery and oppression. That's all they've known. Imagine as a young child growing up in this reality. And imagine, you know, your parent would weep at night, praying or crying out for freedom or crying out for something to change because they were constantly being oppressed and beaten down as slaves. They were they were not first-class citizens. They were second-class citizens, and they were treated in inhumane ways. So imagine just growing up in this environment, but also imagine that maybe you were alive for the generation where you always were aware of this promise that someone was going to come and rescue your nation. And you were alive for that moment. So as we read the story, Moses, God raised up a man named Moses 
to come and set the nation free. And you can read the, how that happened. It wasn't easy. It, wasn't, it didn't happen in the first request, but it took, it took many plagues and many crazy occurrences to take place for Egypt to let go of the nation of Israel. But the part I want to draw your attention to, when you get to Exodus chapter 14, you start reading, they now have exited Egypt, and now they are in what we call the wilderness. And where are they going? They're going to what's called the promised land. So how many have noticed, sometimes when you leave one room and you step into the hallway, the hallway is often like a wilderness. It's not your destination, but it is the transition place to get you to the next room, your future, which in their case was called the promised land. When they came upon their first hardship in Exodus 14, right around that chapter, their response to the hardship is they began to believe the reason why God led them out of Egypt is because the graveyards were full in Egypt and so there's literally no more ground to bury people. So they were convinced that God had them out in the wilderness to bury them into the ground. This is called irrational thinking. Now you get to Exodus 16. Now this is all in the first year of what was now called a 40-year journey. Did you know that it should only take them about 11 to 13 days, so two weeks, to walk from Egypt to their promised land? And it ended up turning into a 40-year journey. So you get into Exodus 16 and it reads this. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So Exodus 14, they thought it was because of the shortage of graveyards. In Exodus 16, they began to miss their previous life. Now remember, 400 years of bondage, inhumane treatment of being in slavery and oppressed for 400 years. And in the first year of being free from that, they are longing to go back. This right here is important to understand that whenever we step into a space where we don't know what the future looks like, we often try to go back to the way things used to be. I think it's important to note in this verse, what fed you in the last season won't feed you in the future. What fed you in the previous moment of your life or in the past, it, it gave you nutrition then, it was your go-to, it was your watering hole, but where God's taking you, it, something different is required to feed you. So don't try go eating yesterday's meal to take you to the future. Move into the future because God's going to provide you what you need for the future and it's going to be different than what you have already eaten and experienced. So we have to understand that sometimes we get free from Egypt, but it takes some time to get Egypt out of us. And then the fast forward quite a ways into the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 4, they make this statement, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Now, by the time you read this verse, they are very well into the 40-year journey. So this 40-year journey turned into a time to get Egypt out of them. And I just want to challenge us tonight as we're listening to this talk, as we're getting ready to move into the future, there's sometimes a time and space to get things out of you that worked in the last season, but they won't work in taking you forward. So I want to challenge us. Why don't you go ahead and stand? I want to just wrap up with this thought, and then I'm going to pray over you. 
as we move into a future that we don't know exists. My heart for us as people and as a church is that we be willing to take a good look at whatever it is that's holding us back. And so, Father, tonight I pray for every person that is in this room and every person that is listening to this talk, that this will be a moment in time and space where they could realize that they are moving into the future. It's the question is, the question is if they are embracing what you have for them and moving into the future with you. And so I just pray for every person in this room, there'll be a grace on them. There'll just be this moment, almost like an incubator, if you will, that allows them to just assess and just to hear what you're saying and that we'd be willing to be stripped of anything that's holding us in the past, anything that's holding us in a static space, that we'd be people full of movement, mystery, intention, and we'd be willing to say yes to something that we don't even know exists yet. So I bless this house, and I bless every person in this room. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week, everyone.